um, turn to Matthew 6, whether it's a real one or a paper one or a phone one. If you haven't got a Bible and like a Bible, we love giving Bibles away. Just um, come and ask us. We'd love to give you one. Um, but it'll appear on the screen as well. Here we go. I was told specifically to read in an IV, so I couldn't use my Amplified. I like, I like the Amplified. It's so good. But NIV is great as well. So I'm reading from Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 4, and then going on to verses 16 to 21. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees all, sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And now to verse 16. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father, who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the word of the Lord. Read so beautifully. I'm sure you're all inspired now. Um, I'm going to come down here so I'm not too far away from everyone. Matthew 6, really well-known passage. I mean, it, it, there's so much more in there. We just read a kind of little snapshot of it just to get a flavor to remind you of bits of Matthew 6, those of you who know it. I guess in Matthew 6, there's two kind of temptations that are laid out, two pressures, challenges that we all face as believers, those of us that have faith, um, that can distract us and pull us away from our relationship with God. And that's what's kind of explored here. The first temptation that's clear in, in chapter 6 is, is the religious man or woman doing their religious thing, you know, in a very public way, looking kind of really pious as they're praying or looking kind of really hungry and strained as they're fasting. And it's kind of living your life on the outside in order to win people's kind of approval. You know, you impress them because you look really spiritual, or you sound really spiritual, or you're, you're making it evident that you're doing the spiritual things. And God says, if you're doing it for people, well, that's the reward you'll get. And, you know, that was clearly evident of the Pharisees in Jesus' day who, you know, made very public what, what they were doing and how spiritual they were being. But Jesus is saying, you know, that's the reward you get. Instead, you need to be doing it in secret where it really counts and where God who sees everything wants to reward you and kind of bear fruit from it. Um, if you seek the praise of people, well, that's the reward you get. The second temptation 
um, that we face as believers. This is explored in Matthew 6. Um, I, I was actually preaching on this this morning at St. Tom's in a different kind of context, um, which has just reminded me, Mary, that I completely forgot to record that. You'll be delighted to know. Um, so that'll be another recording I'll probably do. Um, <laughs> uh, the temptation that we also face is the temptation of being kind of so sucked into life in the world and all its joys and all its treasures that that's actually what we set our face after. You know, the things of the world become so bling and shiny to us that we, we run after them. Where your treasure is, there your heart is. And that the things of the earth kind of create within us a really unhealthy longing that pulls us towards them and that they become our priority. Um, so I wonder where you're at tonight, kind of in terms of your faith, in terms of disciplines, in terms of um, some of the challenges that we face as Christians. Um, I was listening again to a, that song, you know, you two, some of you will know many of their songs and Bono's song I heard it on the radio the other day and it just kind of struck me again I've climbed the highest mountains I've run through the fields I run I've crawled I've scaled city walls but I still haven't found what I'm looking for I think that's a cry in lots of people's hearts you know there's something out there that I'm running after and I kind of I've tried this and I've tried that and I've gone after this and I've gone after that and I've bought this and I've bought that but there's still this void that hasn't really fulfilled me that's what kind of Bono was referring to there and then Mark 8, 36, a key verse that we know so well. What good is it to gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? Um, I think that's something we need to wake up to in Western culture. This kind of, we know this, this isn't new stuff, is it? That actually there's such, so many things shouting at us, demanding our attention, demanding this will, if you buy this product, if you go on this course, if you join the gym, this gym, and eat this food, and you do this thing, and you buy this product, and you wear these clothes, and you live in this house in this particular area, then your life will be satisfied and you'll find contentment. It's not that any of those things necessarily are wrong intrinsically in themselves, but if that's where we're pinning our hopes, then we're going to fall short. Nothing in this world is truly going to fulfill us ultimately. And that's partly what the discipline of, of fasting speaks into and perhaps physically breaks into. And I'm going to speak kind of practically in that. It challenges that cycle of need, want, and hunger that we often as human beings can get into particularly in a nice kind of Western culture, perhaps, uh, where we're looking for instant satisfaction or something to give us that quick buzz, it breaks into that. And fasting, like praying, um, like giving, it's a legitimate kind of discipline that actually makes a difference. I really believe it makes a difference in our lives and challenges the power of our appetites, the things that we're hungry for. Jesus was aware that the Pharisees used to fast, and it was very evident they did, and so it was something that they practiced um, in Jesus' day. The Pharisees fasted twice a week, um, and while, while they were fasting, they went around with very somber faces, looking very, very spiritual and disheveled, so that everyone knew that they were fasting, and kind of go, wow, these amazing spiritual men uh, who are kind of, they're so pious, they're so holy. But Jesus looks through all that and says, it doesn't matter what they're doing. It doesn't matter about their outward appearance, or actually even this fasting they're doing. It's all about the heart. And it's worthless, therefore, to the Father when it's like that. Um, so fasting. How many here have read a book on fasting? Three or four. Great. That's more than in lots of churches, probably. It's not a book that you rush to, perhaps. Interestingly, um, 
when I lived in France for a while, when I moved to France when I was a student, um, you know, we take for granted the m so many resources that we have in England, books published on just about every form of teaching, whether it's spiritual warfare, gifts of the spirit, the church, church history, discipleship. Um, there's so many books published in, in England. When I moved to France, you realize there's less. Now, there are more being published into French and other languages. And of course, you know, now there's so much more books that you can get through the internet, access to so much teaching. Biblical teaching on discipleship, evangelism, mission, the shape of the church, church planting, spiritual warfare, all those things. There aren't loads of books on fasting. And I, I discovered that between 1861 and 1954, a period of nearly 100 years, there wasn't one book published on the subject of fasting. Zero. Whereas you would actually find books on pretty much anything. Um, I don't know if that fact is true, but it's a good one. Um, I saw it written down, it must be true. Um, but I think it probably is because there aren't a lot of books published on fasting. And in some ways, around that period and earlier and through into the kind of the modern day church, fasting was seen as a bit of a, well, it's a bit of a religious thing. You know, monastic kind of communities used to do it and monks used to do it in the medieval period, but we don't fast anymore, do we? Um, I think fasting is kind of often looked down on and feared for probably two reasons. We associate it with wackos, religious nutcases, extremists in the Middle Ages, along with kind of self-flagellation and beating yourself and kind of locking yourself in a kind of convent or in a monastery. We sort of maybe put it in with that bunch of ideas. And another reason that fasting isn't quite such a popular thing is we, if we're really honest, we love to eat and hate the idea of self-sacrifice. It's like buying a book on dieting. We'll buy it if we think it's an easy one to get kind of a diet quickly, but you know, yeah. That's not what fasting is either. And the truth is, we don't like the idea of self-sacrifice. So Richard Foster, in this book, Spiritual um, Disciplines, he says this. He defines fasting as the voluntary denial of a normal function for the sake of intense spiritual activity. I'll say that again. The voluntary denial of a normal function for the sake of intense spiritual activity. So what's the deal with fasting, what, 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 you know, why am I here talking about it? What, what are we, why are we reflecting on it? Well, um, I remember whenever we used to go out as a family for a special treat um, on a special weekend, maybe it was a birthday, kid's birthday, or we had a kind of like, like this weekend, Long Bank Holiday weekend, we might have gone out somewhere special. And there was one thing uh, my children wanted above all other things. And if you gave them the option, the one thing that they used to, all three of them in the car would kind of long for was to go to the shrine, what I used to call the Shrine of the Golden Arches. Um, I, I believe with all my heart, and I, I taught, you know, I've taught this, Blaise Pascal, he was a philosopher back in the 1600s, he used to say, and I, you know, I really believe it's true, he first commented on it though, that all hum humanity is created with a God-shaped hole. Have you heard that expression, a kind of vacuum God-shaped hole? Um, my children seem to be convinced they had a McDonald's-shaped vacuum in their lives and that the only thing that would bring true satisfaction to them as children was going to McDonald's. It was always the same thing. But it wasn't just McDonald's either. It was, you know, it was something very, very, very specific. They wanted it. Maybe if you, you students here, you might remember being a child, you probably wanted it as well. If you've had children looking around the room, they will have wanted it. Grandchildren, they will have wanted it. They'll have wanted the same thing. It's a combination of food, about which they didn't really care that much, if I'm honest, and a little prize. 
Not so much of a prize, if we're honest, um, just some cheap, tacky, rubbish, plastic thing, Scooby-Doo, Kung Fu, Panda, Anakin, Sky Buzz, Saber, Caribbean toy thing, something like that. Some plasticky thing given, given in this box, given in a little box. We all know what we're talking about. But, it, but in a, it, genuinely, in a moment of utter genius, some marketing kind of people within McDonald's um, gave it a particular name. We all know what I'm talking about, I'm sure. They called it the Happy Meal. Happy Meal. It's a, it's a meal of utter joy. Uh, I'm sure you remember it. You're not just buying chicken McNuggets. You are buying happiness in this box as you paid whatever it was. And, you know, I, Sarah, we used to try and talk them out of it because there were better things that they could eat at McDonald's, weren't there? But the reality was they would go, I want a Happy Meal, I want a Happy Meal. And when you have three kids screaming at you in a queue at McDonald's, why won't you buy me a Happy Meal? You look like the worst parent in the universe. So you buy them all a Happy Meal and we would buy them a Happy Meal. So I buy them a Happy Meal and it makes them happy for about a minute because that's the reality of a Happy Meal, isn't it? It doesn't really buy you lasting happiness. You'll never met, meet a young adult that says, Dad, I remember more than anything else in my life when we were young. You used to buy me a Happy Meal. My life has been fulfilled since that point forward. I'm just, I'm touched. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, at my wedding, I'm going to talk about the Happy Meals we bought. We know that's just not the reality. This Happy Meal... It's there for a minute. Their plastic toy, uh, you know, very quickly goes in the landfill, which, of course, is why I don't think they do plastic toys anymore. They give, you know, I think books. No child wants to buy a Happy Meal anymore. I think it's a bit of a marketing disaster, but that was, that was the thing. The only thing that really, I think, when you think about the Happy Meal, um, the only people that he really brought happiness to was, you know, McDonald's. After their 55th billion Happy Meal was sold, no wonder Ronald McDonald has a grin on his face. All that money, all of that stuff, these children, this marketing genius. So, okay, why am I talking about Happy Meals? Well, as I was thinking about this the other day as I drove past McDonald's, I was reflecting on the fact that only a child, right, would be so foolish as to kind of like, you know, so naive to think that happiness could be achieved through just a thing that you buy and eat, right? Only a child would be that stupid. No, of course not. The point is, for all of us, as we grow up, as we grow older, we don't get any smarter. Our Happy Meals just get more expensive, more complicated. Um, and the world around us, and marketing, and the media, and publicity, and businesses is driven on the kind of premise that, that, that keeps telling us that happiness is just one more Happy Meal away, one more iPhone away, one more bigger house away, one more new car away. That's the message we're told. Pursue this, get this, buy this, you'll have happiness, you'll have contentment. Bigger house, bigger TV, bigger wife, whatever it may be, you're being sold this thing to go after. But actually, does that rule bring contentment? I've climbed the highest mountain, says Bon. I've run through the fields, I've crawled, I've scaled city walls, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. So what do we find satisfaction in? Temporary things? instead of our relationship with God the Father? That's the kind of big question that Jesus is asking in Matthew 6. What are you running after? What are you investing your life in? What are the things that pulls you in and holds you? Is it stuff? Is it other people's perception of you? Is it a religious life? Or is it true fellowship with the Father who delights in you, who wants to help you grow? And you know, That's why we're looking at all these spiritual disciplines. But fasting, in some ways, cuts right into that for us. Ephesians 1.17 says this, 
I keep asking the Lord of our, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so you may know him better. I think for those of us that have been a Christian for a while, one of the challenges we face is that our Christian journey, particularly in nice culture, we're in a lovely city, we're in a nice, usually warmish church, you know, with lovely people, nice, comfortable chairs, um, that we can begin to just settle as a Christian and begin to, dare I use the word cruise, and I say that as someone who's just come back from a cruise that my mum and dad took us on, where I ate my body weight in food every day, and it was lovely for a few days, but you come back kind of like a whale, and also thinking, wow, I couldn't live like that. But it's true, so there were some people on that boat who basically spend all year going around the world on this boat. I mean, there were, I mean, I'm not going to name the nationalities, but there were Americans on that boat. And they basically, I mean, they were on there for like months, some of them, because actually it was almost cheaper than just being in a home somewhere. Let's just blow the kids' inheritance. Let's start, and just sail around the world, enjoying being served, enjoy the ambience, nice music, nice lighting, comfy beds, being served. They'll come to bring my food to my cabin. I don't even have to leave my cabin now. I'll just order it through my TV. You don't even have to get out of bed to order. You don't even have to pick up telephone. Just browse on your TV. The food comes to your door. And sometimes our faith can get a bit like being on a cruise ship. We love the ride, but I don't think faith, the church, is supposed to be this cruise ship where we're just getting more and more stuffed. It's supposed to be more like a battleship where everyone knows their station. Everyone is ready, engaged in a team. There's a sense of camaraderie, and we are going somewhere, but it's not just going on a lovely holiday to exotic places. It's trying to see God's kingdom come. We're involved in a, a battle against the kingdom of darkness. And the truth is, our spiritual life can help. We can just become a bit flabby, definitely a bit flabby, and ill-disciplined. And fasting breaks into that. It can break a cycle. It challenges us. And we can lose our sensitivity to God's kingdom. I'm passionate about the gifts of the Spirit. I'm passionate about um, the, the prophetic, words of knowledge. And, and, and I move in the prophetic, like many people here, words of knowledge. We've seen incredible healings. There's people here who've got incredible gifts of healing, praying for people. And, you know, I think, why don't we do that more? Why don't I do that more? Why don't I just, you know? Well, sometimes it's easy just to sit back and relax. We need to be a people who are passionate. And I know when I sow to the flesh, I kind of reap from the flesh. But when I focus on the Father, when I look for the things of the Spirit, when I remind myself that I'm born for more than just existing, I begin to see God working more. And so there's this battle going on between us in, in our inner man, in our inner person sometimes. Things of the flesh or things of the Spirit. And it's not that the flesh is wrong. In itself, intrinsically, we're made in the image of God with human bodies but God wants our priority, our first thing, to be set on him. As real as our world is, God is more real, and the things of his kingdom are more dynamic and more exciting and more fulfilling. Sin, I think, colludes with our flesh. It clouds our spiritual eyes. It makes us a bit dull. It makes us a bit kind of like, you know when you've had a massive meal recently? I've had lots of massive meals, and it's great, but when you've had a really big meal, maybe a couple of glasses of milk or something, and you kind of get through the evening, and you're like, oh, I really love that. But you kind of feel like, I just need to lie down for a bit now, like a couple of days. Don't ask me anything. You know, don't talk to me. I just, <laughs> we get a bit like that spiritually sometimes if we're not careful. When we just consume or when we get kind of, we start drifting. 
And fasting, I think, is about realigning our priorities and realigning our focus. It's not about becoming super religious or kind of like great, just sort of big gestures. It's about saying, Lord, will you help me in this? I want my spiritual life to be the thing that's really, really feeding me. And as we begin to think about fasting, we begin to realign our priorities in our hearts and in our head and in our body. It's about saying to the body, you are not the loudest voice. My stomach is not supposed to be the loudest voice in my life. Sometimes if I haven't eaten for a while, it sounds like it is the loudest voice in my, as I can hear it talking to me. But actually my my inner heart for Jesus is supposed to be the thing that speaks louder than my body. And so choosing and thinking about fasting is about choices and activating something within us. In order to become more like Jesus, to become true kingdom-centered people, God's given us some tools to help us realign the truth, the plumb line of who we are, the disciplines, and fasting, I believe, is really key in all that. So, we're going to watch a video. Because maybe you're thinking, okay, well, what is all this fasting? I, I could do with a bit of help what it might be. This is a video that may help, or it may not. I think fasting's awesome. I mean, where else can you combine spirituality and dieting all in the same way? I mean, I think it's a bound wrap, pound for pound it does. You know, people think it's for monks or supermodels and stuff like that. But I'm here to tell you it's for everybody. Last summer, I had a 20-year reunion slash barbecue slash swim party to go to, and I done but had to drop about 85 pounds. So thanks to fasting, what has two thumbs and look good in a swimsuit? This guy. Thank you, Jesus. Fasting? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's great to uh, skip a meal or two so you can hear God's voice better, you know? Stay plugged into him. Yeah. You know, some people uh, fast from phones and music and gadgets. What? That's, that's not a sacrifice. That's, that's not even biblical. I mean, that, that's crazy talk, you know? I mean, God gave us this stuff so we could stay plugged into him, maximize our lives. It also keeps us busy enough to never be still or quiet. Are you even a Christian? I dare you to fast from your phone for one minute. Fine. Minute. You got it. No biggie. I don't care. I probably should take that. I fast. Okay, that's a total lie. I don't even fast at all. Okay, I want to. Another lie. Don't even think about it. Deal is, I'm hypoglycemic and diabetic, and that's not even close to the truth at all, okay? Hey, even the Bible says, he who hopes dies fasting, right? Right? Okay, Benjamin Franklin said that right before he died. Bottom line, fasting makes me hungry. Are we almost uh, done? Hello! I'm Brett Johansson, and I believe that fasting is one of the greatest spiritual disciplines one can achieve in their faith. When my family or friends invite me to go to lunch, I gently remind them and passive-aggressively admonish them by reminding them, did you not get my fasting notification email? Oh, that I had the luxury to eat lunch like you do. (laughs) Every year around Easter, I go through a 40-day fast to heighten my sensation of the Easter holiday. This year, however, I've decided to tack on 10 extra days. (laughs) So by the time we celebrate Resurrection Sunday, I will have been fasting for 50 whole days. 
if I survive. In my fast, I have a very rigid schedule. And if you do not have a rigid schedule, then God does not approve. Some people like to cheat, and they drink flavored waters and juices within the fast. You must be drinking unfiltered well water. And if you do not drink unfiltered well water, God does not approve. In the afternoon, I put a cone of silence around me. I do not talk to anyone. Yes, that does annoy people. Yes, it does anger my coworkers. I am persecuted within my fast. And if you are not persecuted within the fast, God does not approve. When I get home, I go straight to my prayer closet. I do not talk to my wife. I do not play with the kids. I let them fend for themselves. And if the kids do not fend for themselves and the wife does not get talked to, God does not approve. You know what? I'm going to ask nice one more time and then I am not in control of what happens, okay? So give me the phone. Okay, fine. I need the phone. I, I need to call. So I hope you found that helpful. Um, the thing is, we have lots of baggage to do with fasting. We have lots of ideas of what it might be, what, what it might not be. And the truth is, there is no one here can tell you this is how you should fast and this is what a fast is. You know, our first question is, you know, Lord, how, how do I fast? What are you saying to me? It's really interesting in Scripture, when Jesus is talking about it, it's kind of like, it's, he's not, it's not that he's telling people to fast. He's actually just assuming people do fast in Scripture. When you fast, when you fast. Not if you fast, but when you fast. So I think it's good for us to think about it. I think fasting is good for us physically. It's really interesting. There's a lot of scientific research done recently, isn't there, on, um, on doing intermittent fast just sort of scientifically they've discovered it's actually really good for good for the body and in some ways that shouldn't surprise us because i think biblical principles biblical ways of living are all about the, the person and they bring health to our bodies so for scientists to discover actually fasting is not an extreme weird thing to do that's actually bad for your body actually it can be a good thing for your body too it helps us think about spiritual priorities you know, I think there's something in particular in Western mindset that says, if I don't have three meals a day, then I'm going to die, or I'm going to be really, really ill, or I'm going to really, really struggle. The truth is, of course, like all these things, we need to be really sensible. So there are some people who, if you've got medical issues, or you're going through a particular part, phase of your life where actually it's not healthy to fast, then don't fast food. But as that video shows us, actually for many of us, the issue may not be food. We talked about this last week when I was doing a session on simplicity. For many of us, it is about unplugging from media. It may be about unplugging from the phone. Um, I, I was chatting to someone in the church who said that their normal morning routine was kind of getting sucked into their phone, whether it's kind of looking at the news stuff or getting sucked into just playing a few games before, over breakfast before going off to work. And this person was saying, actually, I've just realized that it's kind of like a bit of a captive thing. I get captivated by this thing that pulls me in. And I've chosen not to do that. Stopping something which holds us and kind of captivates our heart and our mind is a really good discipline to say, I'm going to stop for a season just so that it isn't master of me, that I can be master of it. So it has, it has good benefits for us physically, for our mind, for our bodies. It helps us. But really importantly, fasting's main benefit, I think, is spiritual. It teaches self-control, which is a really important principle. 
And it helps us and encourages us to have an undistracted focus on spiritual things rather than on material things. There's nothing wrong with food. Food's a real gift from God, and we can really, really enjoy it. But sometimes, to actually make the discipline say, I'm going to miss this meal, either perhaps I'm going to miss lunch today, or I'm going to have a a few days where I'm not, in order to actually have a disciplined focus on God and give that time to God. Richard Foster, in his book, says this, Our human cravings and desires are like a river that tends to overflow its banks. Fasting helps keep them in their proper channel. That's a really helpful image. I think that's true. And there have been certainly seasons in my life where I've thought this particular, you know, whether it's a device or using kind of being sucked into email at unhelpful time when I shouldn't be kind of working, to actually choose to switch it off, to choose to disengage from it, to choose to have a season where, do you know what, I'm going to not drink for a month or two months, to break its power of me, just so that I know that it is not master of me. I'm master of it this, and I want my body, my mind, my time to be given over to God. And I think Foster's right. More than any other discipline, fasting, I think, reveals the things that control us. So if it's in your head, you think, well, I can do that. A bit like the guy with his phone. (laughs) Maybe that is something. Maybe it's television. Maybe it's a particular thing you're doing. Maybe it's kind of gaming on the internet. Maybe it is social media. Maybe it's just your phone, which is kind of like, I mean, I know some of you students and younger people. Can you remember a time before mobile phones, Mark? Do you remember way back in the mists of time? I mean, we're not really talking that long ago, are we? I started working for a church in 1994, the year we got married. Um, and I remember um, someone bought me a mobile phone. I mean, it was like, you know, it was like a brick. And it, it wasn't digital because I didn't have digital. It was, so you would kind of go under a bridge and it would cut out. And, it, and you could text on this phone, but I had no idea what that meant. And because no one else had mobile phones, I didn't have anyone to text anyway. But it's just so that people could read. And, you know, it was such a weird thing. And I carried this phone around in case of emergencies at church. No one ever rung me on it because no one ever had mobile phones. No one thought about it. So within sort of 20, 25 years, we've gone from not being available to being available the whole time. I think that has a toll on our mental health sometimes and our inability to disconnect from the world. So maybe it is about choosing to switch the phone off when you get home, or when you have a night off, if you're married, if you have a night off with a spouse, I hope you have a few of those during the week, do you switch your phone off? Uh, Or when when you're having a meal with your family, and the phone rings, do you leap up instantly to get it? Do you have time where you actually think, actually, I'm going to disengage from this stuff and give time on my own? Instead of watching telly, instead of pursuing binge-watching this set of whatever, am I going to maybe spend some time giving that time to God? Psalm 69.10, David said, I humbled my soul with fasting. I think that's something about saying, I want to focus on spiritual things. Matthew 6.17 Jesus didn't say if, like I said, but when. When you fast. So what might that fast look like? Well, I think it would be different things for different people. And actually, in the Bible, there's all sorts of different fasts. And I'm not going to go through them all. But there's all sorts of things. I guess the most common in Scripture is abstaining from food uh, for, for a period of time. But remember Daniel, when he fasted from kind of rich food, and, but he, he ate vegetables and healthy food. He, he chose to do that. There's all sorts of different fasts. Of course, we know Jesus in the desert... 
He fasted for 40 days and nights. And you might think, well, you know, that's extreme. Like, people don't do that. I, I've, I do know people. I've got a friend who would fast for 40 days, and he would just drink water. And you think, well, is that even possible? If you've got a certain type of diary uh, to do it, it's not the type of thing you can think, I'm just going to start fasting for 40 days. He would do it at real moments of ministry change when actually, and it, it basically meant wiping out the whole of his calendar for a month because at the end he got very, very, very weak. I'm not suggesting anyone here goes to do a 40-day fast, but I have, and Sarah, we've, we've experienced at various points in our lives, key points in our lives, some extended fasts that are incredibly, incredibly helpful. But it often begins with a simple thing. I'm going to choose to do this fast this week. I'm going to fast a meal, and I'm going to use that time praying. When I lived in France, um, there was one day a week. I felt God spoke to me and said, will you give up one, one day a week, breakfast and lunch, for somebody to pray for them? And, um, and I did, and it was an incredibly helpful thing. I didn't tell the person, by the way, I'm praying and fasting for you. Uh, I, just, I just did it, and I found it really hard because I was really hungry, <laughs> And it's amazing when you start fasting. Within 10 minutes of starting fasting, you feel incredibly hungry. Uh, or you have that thing where you decide you're going to fast. I'm going to fast today. I'm going to get up and I'm going to fast. And halfway through breakfast, you're thinking this is going to be a great day. Of, oh, hang on a minute. I'm supposed to be fasting. I have done that. I genuinely have done that a few times. It's easy to do it. And we, you know, we can beat ourselves up. And go, oh, no, I've ruined it. I've ruined the fast. God is kind. It's about our heart attitude. He wants us to fast. So it may be food. It may be television. It may be for a short period of time. It may be for a regular meal, one meal a week. You're going to give up your lunchtime because there's a particular issue or particular situation you're facing. Fasting does bring breakthrough. There have been times in the church family here I can think about over the last few years where we've called a time of prayer and fasting. I remember when Martin was really poorly through COVID, there were a couple of nights when it was not great. And, uh, and what we called a few of us in the church actually really pray and fast and to pray through the night. I believe that fasting is a really powerful thing. It does things. It, it, it's a powerful spiritual moment. I mentioned Daniel. Daniel 10.3 when the prophet fasted for three weeks, ate no delicacies, no meats, no wine. All different types of fasting. And it can be for different things. There's another quote from Richard Foster. It's sobering to realize that the very first statement Jesus made about fasting dealt with the question of motive. To use good things for our own ends is always a sign of false religion. Fasting must forever center on God. It must be God-initiated and God-ordained. Fasting reminds us that we're sustained by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's Matthew 4.4. 4. Therefore, in experiences of fasting, we're not so much as abstaining from food or abstaining from anything else, as much as we're feasting on the word of God. So fasting is supposed to be feasting. I think it's just important to say, and we're going to finish in a minute, that, that fasting isn't so much about changing God or, or arm-wrestling God into anything, as much as it's about changing us and changing the way we see things, changing the way we pray, changing our perspective on things, gives us a heavenly perspective. And that fasting makes us more receptive to the shepherd, to hearing his voice, to, to, to his guidance. Daniel fasted 21 days for God's guidance and understanding. Fasting is often biblically to express repentance, removal of kind of God's wrath. There are times of kind of national repentance. National fasting has been called in this country through historical moments, and I think there is a place for that, for fasting and repenting. 
And I think it's great for overcoming temptation. If you're really struggling with something and you're really wanting to break the power of it in your life, I think fasting as a sign to God, Lord, I'm really serious in this. Will you help me? Is a really, really powerful thing to do. It's a really, really keen thing to do. I just want to say this, though. This is as, as someone who I haven't fasted for a little while, not kind of in, in, a, in a really serious long period of time. But we do regularly try and have times of fasting. I think it's a great discipline to do in your life. Ask God and ask God's help for it. But I want to say this. At times when I've done longer extended fasts, being really super honest, I usually feel really miserable when I'm fasting. I would love to say when I've done like a week-long fast or something, I felt spiritually radiant and I can hear the angels as I'm walking through town and I look at my wife in the morning, she looks more beautiful than ever and I just feel the kind of comforting embrace of the Holy Spirit. I usually feel like poo when I'm fasting, if I'm honest. And, um, and so the thing about Jesus saying, you know, they walk around moping, I'm not choosing to do that. That's my natural face, my resting face when I'm fasting. So, you know, I, <laughs> I will try and not make it obvious that I'm fasting by trying to smile. But I often feel hungry. Duh, that sounds obvious. Although, weirdly, your body does go through these strange things where actually you get these moments of real high. The first two days when I'm fasting, I usually get screaming headaches, like properly screaming migraines, which is usually the kind of caffeine working its way out my body. So particularly if you're a coffee drinker, health warning around fasting for that. But for me, that says, this is why you're doing it. And whilst the headaches are miserable... Internally, I'm thinking, this is why I need to do this, because this is an addiction that my body's got so used to that actually when it stops, my body's going, what are you doing? And that's a physical thing going on, but it speaks of a spiritual thing saying, I don't want to be addicted to caffeine or a need for this. I want to be able to enjoy it, but I want to be able to enjoy God more. I want to be addicted to God's presence more. So usually when I'm fasting, I don't hear God clearly. My prayers are really struggled. You know, my worship life is a bit like, oh, it is a, it's a grinding, challenging thing that I don't enjoy. But when I start eating again, it's great. And I feel God's pleasure and joy because good things come from God. But it's always really interesting to me that it's after fasting. I just, something seems to have changed. I can't always work out what it is. I, I feel more in tune with God. I can hear God more clearly. There often is guidance whether it comes through dreams or through other people, there's a release of something. And that's hard to explain, but I know it's true. So if you're facing a challenge or someone you love is really, you kind of feel like, my heart's going for that person. How, how can I pray for them more effectively? How can I give them something? Well, here's a thought. Why don't you offer them a meal a week secretly? Why don't you miss a meal and say, Jesus, for this person, for a period of time, maybe for a week or a couple of weeks or a month, I'm going to pray for this person and I'm going to pray that You'll do something in their life. You'll break through. You'll bring healing. You'll bring an openness to your spirit. We can offer that as a gift. And in it, Lord, will you also sharpen my mind and my heart in it? The gift of fasting is really powerful because I think it does something to us and in us. Fasting doesn't change God's hearing as much as it changes our praying. So I want to pray for us. Um, it may be that... God wants to encourage you to focus more on him, to change some of your patterns of being, to make you more receptive to hearing his voice in an area of guidance. You're looking for wisdom. Maybe fasting would be a really helpful thing to do that. 
it may be that you kind of really sense this deep sense of sorrow that you just, there's this thing in your life that you're just really kind of struggling to let go of and it brings you pain and shame. It may be that as part of your sign of repentance, you just want to fast to give that to God and to experience some freedom. Or you're struggling in an area of temptation. As a church um, we've done in the past, we used to, in Bristol every year, we would start the year with a, a week of corporate fasting. Not everyone fasted for a week, but perhaps people fasted a meal in the week uh, each day, or they fasted an hour of television. And, and we did it together. And it was amazing how when we as a church decided to pray and fast, God spoke to lots of people in the church. I think that'd be a great thing for us to do maybe in, in, in January. Um, after the excesses of Christmas, it's probably a good time to do it, isn't it? And we find it really helpful to say, together, you know that other people in the church are fasting with you. I think it's probably good for us to do that. So if you're, if you're kind of keen to fast, but you'd like some help in it, come and talk to us. Because partnering with other people, you know that other people are fasting and praying with you, is a really helpful thing rather than just doing it on your own. Maybe you're in a prayer triplet or a small group. Maybe some of you guys and, and kind of the girls who are in prayer triplets may decide, you know what, let's, let's have a, one session where we fast for a particular issue. I think over the, the war in Ukraine, I know, you know, I believe as a church we need to be praying and fasting for breakthrough there in this season. It's a powerful thing that brings real change. I'm going to ask um, Steve to come back up as we draw to a close. And I just want to pray for us. When Jesus fasted in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, you know, his body is that great verse of understatement, perhaps the greatest verse of understatement in the Bible when Jesus had fasted for 40 days, it says, and he was hungry. Um, <laughs> great understatement. I'm sure he was really hungry. And his body, no doubt, was weakened, but his inner person, the inner Jesus, was so strengthened by that fasting, by that focus saying, I'm not going to feed myself on food. I'm not going to feed myself on television programs to satisfy me. I'm not going to feed myself on gadgets and stuff. I'm going to feed myself on the word of God and make that number one priority. And everything else can come afterwards. As he did that, he was strengthened to stand against the devil's temptations. It says about Jesus that he was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. And in the Greek, it says he was led around in the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. But when he came out of the wilderness, having fasted and being tempted and overcome, it, said in, it says in the Greek, he was full of pleres, full of the Holy Spirit. Something happened to him in the wilderness. Something happened to him as he fasted and chose to focus on God's words rather than feeding himself in his flesh. Something dynamic happened. So, Father, I want to pray for us. Lord, this isn't just about spiritual gestures or, or kind of religious extremism. But you want to teach us that there's a higher way of living where we sow to the inner man, the inner woman, the inner person in us to say, Lord, will you strengthen us inwardly? Where we can so often be consumed with the flesh, with what we watch and how we use our time and how we feed ourselves and how we kind of satisfy our bodies when actually, Jesus, you want our spiritual bodies to be alive instead of dulled and where we become sharpened and our hearing becomes more acute to hear you, Father. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you speak to us and maybe, maybe you're calling us this week to just give something up, to fast. Fasting isn't just about Lent. We can apply it as a spiritual principle through every week and month of our life. 
Holy Spirit, we say to us, would you search the corners of our hearts and maybe just now speak to us about something or a time scale or an area where we can fast, where we can yield our bodies, our possessions, our time, our resources to you. And to say we want to make you first, Jesus, of our heart. For where your treasure is, there your heart is. Well, Jesus, we want you to be our greatest treasure. The pearl of great price that's worth far more than anything else. So that we sow to that. Lord, may we sow to the Spirit so that we reap from the Spirit. Change us, transform us, inspire us. And help us to become disciplined men and women of the kingdom that bring you pleasure, we pray. In Jesus' name.